0: Please view our upcoming schedule of live online events and engage with us on social media. For handouts, links, and further study materials, please visit this program's page on our website or app.
1: Well, look, guys, we're just so happy to be here with Monsignor Pope. We said, you know, there's no one we want to sit down with more than Monsignor to be able to be with him during this time because... He's a true pastor of the church, and we wanted to be able to be with you, Monsignor, during this time of preparation. We're going to ask you to open us up in prayer, but Peter, we're going to go ahead for those that are new to the ICC, maybe don't know Monsignor, why don't you go ahead and share his bio, and then we'll welcome him this morning.
2: Wonderful. Thank you, Father. Our speaker this morning attained his Master's of Divinity and Master of Arts degree in Moral Theology from Mount St. Mary's Seminary in 1989. Ordained to the priesthood in that same year, Monsignor Pope has served at several parishes in the Archdiocese of Washington and was named a Monsignor in 2005 by Pope Benedict XVI. He has served as pastor at Holy Comforter St. Cyprian Parish in Washington, D.C. since 2007. He also blogs regularly for the Archdiocese of Washington and is a beloved speaker here at the ICC. Please join me in welcoming back this morning Monsignor Charles Pope.
1: Monsignor, good to have you with us.
3: Good. All right. Let's pray. Lord, grant your faithful the, the courage and the joy to run forward to meet your Christ who is coming. Assist us by uh, this Advent preparation to be ready not simply for the first coming that has been fulfilled, the Christmas feast, yes, but also to be ready for the glorious second coming of the Lord where we're either going to come to be brought to him or he's going to come to us. But Lord, get us ready. We need help. Keep us ready, let Advent be then for us a reminder of the ongoing preparation that we need so that we can rejoice to receive your saving power through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So I'll be talking about some Advent meditations today, but I want to start with a reading from Malachi, the book of Malachi. we would be in the third chapter. It says this, and suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire yes he is coming says the lord of hosts but who may endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like the refiner's fire or like a fuller's lie he will sit refining and purifying and he will purify the sons of levi refining them like gold and like silver that they may offer due sacrifice to the lord Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in the days of old and the years gone by. And I will draw near to you, though, for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and all those who defraud the hired man of his wages, against those who defraud widows and orphans, who turn aside the stranger, and those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, (laughs) uh, this this great, you know, Advent theme, I think a lot of people, because of the culture in which we live, it's all about getting ready for Christmas. And there's already Christmas parties. I I attended a Christmas concert at the school down there that my nephew attends and, and different things. You know, these things go on in our culture. But for us in the church, the real focus is preparing not so much just for the Christmas feast, but for the second coming of the Lord. In fact, many of you in the Western Rite may know that we have this hymn called Diaz Irae, the Day of Wrath, you know, that was, was put into the Requiem Mass. But really, it was actually written as a hymn for the second Sunday of Advent. I'm not going to quote the whole thing. I have some of it memorized, but I'll just say, you know, Day of Wrath and doom impending, heaven and earth and ashes ending, David's words with the sybils blending. Oh, what fear man's bosom rendeth, when from heaven the judge descendeth, on whose sentence all dependeth, and lo, the book exactly worded, wherein all hath been recorded, and thence shall judgment be awarded. And when his seat the judge attaineth, and each hidden deed arraigneth, nothing unavenged remaineth. And it goes on like that. Then, but there's beautiful cries for mercy, too. You know, what shall I, frail man, be pleading, when the just are mercy needing? Who for me be interceding? And then to think, kind Jesus, my salvation caused your wondrous incarnation. Font of mercy, then befriend me. It goes on like that and ends with that beautiful line. Lacrimosa diazile, day of tears that day. Pie Jesu domine, dona eis requiem. Oh, sweet Jesus, grant everyone eternal rest. So, again, it's, it's not just this horrifying seen. It's a very powerful cry and, and actually a judicial basis for mercy. Look what you, how you treated Mary or the thief or other sinners who came to you. Jesus, hear my pleading now, you see. Get me ready for the great coming of the Lord, who may endure the day of his coming. You know, we live in a time that has trivialized God. We turn him into an old grandfather who has to take his dentures out and put them in a, well, I guess they don't have dentures like that anymore. Now you get these implants, but you get the idea. Remember, most of us who are a little older remember the seniors would take out these dentures and put them in the cup for the nail, And they were kind of like this. And we try to turn God into sort of an old grandfather, kind of a doting grandfather. And Jesus, we turn him into a harmless hippie. But I'm going to tell you that is not counseled in scripture. The scriptures counsel us to have a holy fear of God. I hold him in awe and in reverence. That liturgy of St. James, you know, uh, that, that beautiful, beautiful song That so many. Let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand, ponder nothing earthly minded, but with blessing in his hand. Christ our God, our God to earth descendeth, you know, in our full homage to demand, you see. So we're not just going to go up and give God a high five and say thanks for all the blessings and. Let me on in now and I'll just just get moved into my heavenly house. You know, we trivialize God so easily. But texts like the one I just read to you ask, how is it possible for a frail, sinful man like me or a woman like me for some of you, how is it possible for me to stand before God and not just wither before the glory, the light and the heat of his love how can I not just melt away like wax? God is awesome. God is other. And I have to be rendered ready to meet him. I can't just, you know, walk on in, in my present state. So again, we have to cry out to God. And Advent is a time where we hear and we read a lot of texts in the liturgies of the church that speak to us of these last things, getting ready to meet God, being rendered ready, if you will. It isn't just something that you can't just do a few more spiritual push ups, or you don't have a ladder that's tall enough or a rocket ship powerful enough to just get you into heaven. You can't do it. We need a savior. We need a savior. And without the work of the Lord, we don't stand a chance. We've got to have grace and mercy and abundance. We need his word. We need sacraments and healing. We need holy fellowship like we have here. We need prayer, and abundance. We need ultimately the Lord just to go to work in our life. You know, some of the uh, sayings from Isaiah, you know, Lord, we need to hear from you. If we don't hear from you, what shall we do? Lord, even our good deeds are like filthy garments, filthy rags. Even the stuff that we think is really swell is nothing but filthy rags before your holiness. Lord, without you, we perish. So we meditate on our need for a Savior, our need to be ready to meet God, and that's a sober thing. You know, the Lord loves us and he wants to save us, but he expects to be taken seriously. And most people don't. Oh, well, the Jesus I know would never say that. Well, I'm quoting him. Well, no, no, he couldn't have said that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the church put that in there. You know, people are like that. You know, they make up this fake Jesus, this fake God, the father, and they start to worship now, that. Now, we used to call that idolatry. OK, we used to call that idolatry. And by the way, I think it's still idolatry. The God of my understanding, the God within wouldn't talk like you, you mean priest. You know, that kind of stuff. He would affirm everything I want to do because he's nice. Like I'm like you, you know. OK, so you see, this is what we do to God in our culture. But Advent says, no, 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 no. Still be still, my soul. The Lord is about to descend. For us in the great glorious judgment of the the whole universe. But at the end of the day, even as coming at Christmas is deeply awesome and mysterious, and we should fall silent and reverent before the God who comes to us. So again, the text here says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. But nevertheless, you got to be ready. Who may endure? The day of his coming only it says the text if he refines us like silver and gold are refined in the fire. Job said, the way I go, he knows. And when he is finished with me, I shall come forth as pure gold. But this implies a lot of suffering, a lot of purification as if through fire. And so these are the things that we have to remember, I think, in in Advent. And see, what we tend to do is not evil, but it's just a little misplaced or overemphasized. We get sentimental, you know, the baby Jesus, you know, Bambino coming on a guy wire into the, the little crib there. And, oh, Jesus, you know, you get the idea. Now, there's nothing bad about that. But the problem is sentimentality has its place. But ultimately, we have to say, look, this is the Lord. This, this infant from that little hand, the whole universe tumbled into existence. He looks up. He who looks down on all creation is now looking up from a cradle. You know, he who whose voice summoned the all of creation into existence, let there be light. God sent forth his word through his son, let there be light. And there was light. Now cries like a little infant. Don't be deceived. He's the Lord. He makes himself little for our sake. But at the end of the day, don't stay with little. You have to know he is God. He's the Lord. And Advent, like Lent, but Advent, it's his time to prepare to meet the Lord. And for us, That's especially referring to the second coming. Now, when I say the second coming, I don't just mean the formal second coming. It may happen in our lifetime. A lot of signs have lined up, but not all of them. But more than likely, it will, in fact, 100%. We're all going to at some point go to meet him, whether he comes to us or we go to him. And, you know, it's not just going to be this big hug moment. It's going to be a moment of honesty and truth. And, you know, a lot of us don't like that kind of stuff, you know, just don't. Now, to get into some of the themes that I I wanted to talk about, but tonight would be, that's really one of them, namely, what really is Advent focused primarily on? And for us, it's the second coming of the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that none of the texts are oriented towards all the prophecies of the Lord's birth at Bethlehem and so on. But at the end of the day, we know that's been fulfilled. And we need now to set our focus on the other thing, which is, you know, There's an old African-American spiritual that reminds us, it says that God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, but the fire next time. And so he's going to come to judge the heavens and the earth and and all the living by fire, by fire. Now, again, don't think just burning destructive fire, but think also purifying and radiating fire. So one other passage I want to read to you from Malachi is at the very end of Malachi. In some Bibles, it's the fourth chapter. In other Bibles, it's just the extension of the third chapter, but it says simply this, that, lo, the day is coming, blazing like an oven, says the Lord, when all the proud and evildoers will be stubble, on that day that is coming will set them on fire, leaving them neither root nor branch, says the Lord of hosts, but, 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 for you who fear my name, there will arise a son of justice, with healing in its rays, and you'll gamble out like calves in the stall, tread down the wicked, and they'll become like ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I take action, says the Lord of hosts. So again, you notice that there's there's one reality, but two very different experiences of that same reality. The reality is the great coming of the Lord. Some experience it as a blazing oven, burning up everything they want and love and they call their own, burning it all up And, you know, it's a horrible, it's a day of wrath. But for you who fear my name, that glorious fire of God's presence will be like the sun rising in the morning with healing in its rays. So which is it? Healing fire or burning fire? Well, you decide. (laughs) That's about you and me being ready. Don't don't you know why the Lord sent tongues of fire to set us on fire? Bring us up to the temperature of glory? You know, in other words, what on a fiery day like that, what's the one thing that will survive and, and actually gain strength? More fire. You just join to the fire and you're part of this is this is who I am. And it's great. I'm on fire for the Lord. Here comes the fiery Lord, you know. And so there is this great, great summons to be on fire. And if that's the case, it's like, you know, when you go to the pool when the first time you jump in, the water is cold. But then, you know, it's warm and, you know, we have to get used to God's glory, to the temperature of his glory, to the brilliance of his light. Otherwise, we'll be blinded and we'll call the day terrible. One final maybe image for you, again, going back to African-American spirituals is, well, a couple of them. One of them says, I went to the rock to hide in my face. The rock cried out, no hiding place. There's no hiding place down there. Talking about the day of judgment. Oh, the rock cried, I'm burning too. The rock cried, I'm burning too. There's no hiding place down there. But there's another spiritual. It didn't really make it into the main body of church spirituals, but it was related to General Sherman going through Georgia. It was a great destructive thing. But to the slave folks and the, and the slave owners, there were two very different experiences in the same reality. And that was enshrined in an old spiritual that said, oh, the master says, oh, no. But the slave folks say, ho, ho. And it must be now that the kingdom's coming and the year jubilo. <laughs> so you see, one reality, but two very different experiences. So I just wanted to say to you, we want to be in that group that says the weather's perfect today because the Lord is coming in his glory. You know, Jesus says, as for you, stand up, erect, and see that the day of your salvation is at hand. OK, so we want to be in that group. You know, so many of the parables are, pardon the expression, they say like binary, man, like really like binary. So you've got sheep and goats, those on the right, those on the left, wise virgins, foolish virgins. You've got wheat and tares. You've got uh, those who want to go to the wedding feast and those who don't. You know, you see the idea. There's these two groups. And the idea is, you know what group you want to be in, right? And so Advent is let's get our head on straight and say, am I moving with the Lord in that group? Am I letting Him get me ready? for the great day of his coming. Okay. So that's the first theme I think I wanted to say of Lent. It's, a, it's about preparation. It's about getting ourselves in that state of mind that says, Lord, I got a lot of things. The world gets its hooks in me very easily. I'm drawn in eight different directions, minimally. And I, gosh, Lord, I, I, I really need to stay focused and need your help to do that. I don't even know how to sometimes prioritize. You know, some of you are raising kids and Gosh, they've got soccer matches, they've got band practice, they've got track practice, you know, school, and, you know, like, wow, you know, and are these things important? Maybe. Are they, how important, you know, but do they know anything about God, you know? And so, again, where do we establish the priorities, and when do we say no, and when do we say yes? It's not always easy. Lord, I need your help. Help me, because the world gets its hooks in me so easily, so easily. All right. Now, that's one theme I wanted to talk about. Let me give you a couple of other themes. Then I want to maybe stop and kind of work with you and ask you if you have questions or comments and things like that. OK, but the next thing I, I want to just point out is that Advent is witnessed by creation. Now, in, this only really works in the northern hemisphere, but really for the formative years of Christianity as well as Judaism. You know, the northern hemisphere has been our home. And um what we see is that there's a pl- interplay of light and darkness that takes place in the advent and Christmas season right so we know that we're headed for the winter solstice right the shortest day of the year that's six months apart from the summer solstice which is the longest day of the year and I would say longest in terms of daylight you know now uh, isn't this beautiful that this also gives us some clues in the scriptures that John the Baptist born on the summer solstice where the days start getting shorter says I must decrease and he, Jesus must increase. And so the, the winter solstice, yes, we come to the shortest day of the year, but now after June, I mean, December 24th, the days start to get longer little by little, almost imperceptibly at first, but the light begins to return. And so all of this is keyed in with the the fundamental clock, if you will, of nature. This is not an accident. I mean, some people say, oh, look, you know, probably wasn't really December 25th. And you've heard all these theories and we've had good conferences here at the ICC. I think it probably was December 25th right there, you know, right around that time. And there's a lot of reasons for it. It's not just, you know, oh, like the Bible says so. It's, it's more sophisticated than that. It does. I, it doesn't say December 25th. But if you do all the math and you look at Zechariah and his pre class and all that stuff, I think we're pretty well on good solid ground to say he was likely born, you know, toward the end of December near the solstice, just as John the Baptist was born six months before at the summer solstice, all right? So all of creation is witnessing, but let's let's now look beyond just the actual facts of daylight and nighttime and so on. What is going on here? Well, we start to see that it gets darker and darker this time of year. And also in the Northern hemisphere, it gets colder. For us, a little bit further north, snow and cold, the trees lose their leaves, all the green begins to go away is replaced by winter chill, snow and and barren trees. And it seems that everything kind of goes dark and deadly. You know, if if we were to see this, we would say, well, all right, the darkness seems to be overcoming, bringing in cold with it as well. Let's just say you came from another planet, and this is your first cycle of the season you say what's happening the whole earth is dying it's terrible well it's a cycle you know we see it that way now what for us as christians that we want to say is we we can be pretty discouraged right now you know let's be honest it's zero dark 30 out there culturally and morally speaking right i mean you know when you can't even find the right bathroom and people can't even agree well this is a guy and that's a girl i mean this is really zero dark 30. And you keep thinking it can't get any worse. And then all of a sudden you open up the news thing and all that. Yeah, it is worse. It just got worse again. You know, how could we, even 10 years ago, we couldn't have imagined this transgender thing that's going on now. That was preceded by the whole homosexual celebration and all these things. We could hardly imagine these things. Any of us who are older, when we were kids, we could just, it just wasn't. And it wasn't a great world. I'm not saying, oh, we were sinless in those days. No, we weren't. But gosh, wow, really? You know, if you were at, And so here we are, it's zero dark 30. It is so dark. It's getting cold too. cancel culture. You may not say that you will comply or you will suffer, you know, heavy hand of of government, heavy hand of culture, heavy hand of technocracy, you know, canceling and, and shadow banding and all the kinds of things that we know go on today. Cold, bitter, angry is kind of where we are in our culture. You say, wow, see. But just guess what? On December 24th, just when it's darkest, the next day, just a little bit more light. Next day, next a little more. Almost imperceptibly. Almost imperceptibly. You hardly notice it at first. But those who followed these things in the ancient world were actually closer observers of the stars and the moon and things than we are today. We just kind of look at our watch or our cell phone or whatever. Did anyone wear a watch anymore? I don't know. Okay. Here are you All right. So you see, now look, it's almost imperceptible, but the light returns. It returns. It always wins. At the end, the light returns to scatter the darkness. Now, we're at a place, I think, in our culture where there are a lot of things, just like tsunamis sweeping over us and stripping away the familiar things of Christendom and our families and a proper notion of sexuality and the dignity of life and family life and so on. And we think it's just really getting dark. And so we start to light these Advent candles, some of us in our churches, but you start to light candles when it gets dark. All right. Now, suddenly, quietly, almost imperceptibly, a little infant cries in a place called Bethlehem, deep down in a cave beneath a house. And it's so quiet that most of the world never hears it. Just a few shepherds, eventually the wise men. But something's happened. There's been a daring raid by God into the lair of Satan's strongholds. So much so that Satan, he's aware of something, but he can't figure it out. And he lashes out wildly in the killing of the holy innocents. But it's at some point he's begun to work and some 30 years later, he'll step out on a public mission and three hours on the cross, and then he'll rise from the dead. And this is what's going on. Now, we, these cycles of, of darkness and light tend to repeat, but the light always wins, is the point to make to you. So stay with the light. Now, if you look at the church state, lots of little hidden things and not so hidden things are beginning to go on. For example, the ICC. Now, I, I remember, simply, oh, it's never been worse in the church. Actually, even in my lifetime, it's been worse in the church. I think of the 1970s and 80s as, you know, real bad time. Because, you see, we didn't have an ICC. We didn't have an internet. We might have had a couple magazines, you know, like The Wanderer. Remember, anyone remember The Wanderer? And, you know, with the seminary, we had to get those things delivered in plain brown wrappers because if the faculty found out we were reading that thing, we would have been out, you know. That's how it was in the church. There was no catechism. It was the Wild West. And there was just no real other voice. The liturgy was locked into all kinds of imbecility and just silliness and just on and on I could go. It was terrible. They finally did an investigation in the seminaries. They did a house cleaning, apparently not enough of a house cleaning, but they did a house cleaning and they got in there and they published the catechism. And, you know, things are actually better now because we have lots of signs of light. And it's almost quiet, almost imperceptible. If you look at the big numbers, we're dropping. Our numbers continue to drop. Only 22% of Catholics go to mass. Just dreadful, dreadful. But among those 22 are great signs of life, like the ICC, Institute of Catholic Culture, like Ave Maria University, where I was, like so many young adults in my own parish who are much more pious. About the faith, and than, than my generation ever was at their age. We had We all went to church because that's what you did. Cultural inertia. You just go to church because you go to church, and then that's over, and then go off and do something you'd rather do, you know. But n- they go intentionally. There's long lines in the confessional on Sundays for me now. There's all kinds of coming to life of adoration. Likewise, we see all other kinds of different groups and opportunities on the internet for Catholics to share their faith, and so there's there's lots of signs of light. So don't, this this play between light and darkness, it does feel like it's zero dark 30 when you look at the big picture, but look a little closer, and you start to see little signs, signal graces from God. I'm about to reform my church, and I'm building in uh, a beachhead, and we're going to take this hill, see, but I need, I need all the cowards to go home, and I want, I want good, solid Christian Catholics, you know, we got to we got to take this hill. And I meet people who are really dedicated and he's forming that cadre. All right. So while it's dark, do not be too dismayed. The light wins. He always wins. He always wins. So in this play of light and darkness, you know, start to see one of the final thing. And you've heard me say this before. If you've attended any of my lectures, look, the church. This is just another autumn. Now, I'm not saying don't don't minimize. I know I'm trying to minimize, but. In a way, and you've heard me say this, that in the 2000 years of the church, empires have come and gone. Nations have risen and fallen. You know, where is Arius now? We were talking about him earlier. We remember Nicholas. Arius is like, oh, what did he think? You know, you know, where's Caesar now? Where, where is Napoleon? Where is the USSR? You know, I mean, these things that were all out to destroy the church and were going to re- replace us and just trample us underfoot. Where are they now? You know, they're gone and we're still here preaching the very same gospel. So, you see, don't be so dismayed that you forget that the light always wins. It conquers the darkness. Darkness cannot conquer light. Impossible. Light scatters the darkness. Okay? All right. We've already talked a little bit about this next theme I just want to introduce to you, which is that longing for salvation. I hinted at this text, but let me read from Isaiah 64 oh that you would rend the heavens and come down O lord and the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil we have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted rags we all fade like a leaf and all of our iniquities like the wind take us away there is none that calls upon your name or bestirs himself to take hold of you for you have hidden your face and delivered us to the hand of our iniquities. But Lord, you are still our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not exceedingly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Consider, we are all your people. Okay, so I want to simply say that there is this kind of longing for salvation, this becoming more deeply aware of our need for a savior, that we've really messed it up, you know. You've heard my kind of quick version of the Kerygma. Uh, The Kerygma is the early preaching of the apostles. And there's all these books written about it. And, you know, you can overanalyze it. Let me just give you the straightforward, the old, like I said, urban dictionary version. You got it bad and that ain't good. But there's a doctor in the house and his name is Jesus. And if you will let him go to work in your life, he will save you from the mess you are and the mess you've made. So you got to get in touch. If you don't know the bad news, the good news is no news. So in Advent, we focus. Now we've made a mess of it down here, Lord. Look at all of our technology. It's astonishing. I can get on a plane and be down in Florida in two hours. I I can, you know, communicate all across the world. Some of you are in this country. Some of you are elsewhere. It's amazing, isn't it? And yet we're so dumb, too. We're also just so dumb. We can't even, you know, just figure out, well, well, you know, what's my life supposed to be all about? I mean, we miss the most basic things. So we're mesmerized by our technology, but Lord, we made a mess. There's violence, there's hatred, there's confusion, there's darkness. We dabble in it. We seem to love it. We love confusion. We could spread it. Lord, help us. We've got to screw loose. Something's wrong with us. We need a savior. And the Lord says, I hear you. And I'm glad you've noticed. (laughs) I'm on the way. So in Advent, we enter into this time where we reflect on our need for salvation. Oh, Lord. I need. And so, again, when you get in touch with the bad news, the good news is great news. See, but because, you see, there's not a lot of balance and a lot of preaching today. I like you. God loves you. Try to be good. You know, very, very vague stuff. And there's not a lot of preaching of the quote bad news of sin. We don't want to alienate people. We want to be a welcoming community. You hear this talk. But look, those communities are emptying. You know, the Protestants, the liberal Protestants, gave the people everything they wanted, and they're emptier than much emptier than we are. Okay. They're irrelevant. See, somewhere we need a doctor in the house. See, we need an adult in the room who's gonna say, Come on, snap to. We've got some problems and we got to deal with these things, and we can go to someone who can help us. See, and his name is Jesus. So we gotta preach some of that quote, bad news so that the good news it's magnificent on Christmas Day. Today is born our Savior, Christ the Lord. And you can say that you can say it that way. You can say today is born our Savior, Christ the Lord. You know, just, a, just saying words. You don't you don't you don't really mean it. You don't really know what they you know, you're not even reflecting on what it means. No, but if you got in touch with I'm a mess, I can't. There's some things I'm doing, I can't stop. I, I gotta, I gotta go to God. I need help, help Lord. I hear you and I want to save you. Let's continue to work together. That's great news. See? So you don't just sing, you know, trite little hymns about uh, today is born our Savior, silent night, holy night. You're, you're, you're like, wow, God has come to save us. If you prepare your soul by holy confession and, and an awareness. Now, I think I've got just one more thing I want to read to you. And I've, I already sort of introduced it and then we will stop and do some questions and interaction okay when the Lord does come the second coming it says that it will be it will be sudden now there will be signs that will indicate the days are near but we can never be sure so in a way his coming is it will be sudden but it will also you know be signaled but the the bottom line about that suddenness you see this is one of our problems that we procrastinate we delay we push off we're Siempre mañana, you know, mañana, mañana, siempre mañana. Now, the Lord says, I, I, I want you to be sober, and I want you every day to say, see, what's one thing I can do today to kind of move the ball in the right direction, see? It simply says here, just a few thoughts about his coming. He will appear like lightning, says Jesus of his coming, Matthew 24. Or again, in First Thessalonians, St. Paul says the Lord's coming will become, he will come with the suddenness of the pangs of childbirth and there'll be no escape. Or again, 1 Corinthians, St. Paul writes, he'll come in the twinkling of an eye, the sound of a trumpet. Or again, Jesus said, I will come just when you least expect. Just when everyone is saying there is peace and security, says St. Paul, suddenly, suddenly ruin will fall upon us. So you start to see there's a certain suddenness to his coming and the Lord says, but I've given you signs and I'm, I'm reminding you. So in Advent, I again want you to recommit yourself to looking for me, looking for the signs, but longing for salvation and doing something each day to prepare. Now, we're terrible about this in the Western Latin, right? Uh, it's, it's just I don't even know what we were purple anymore, frankly. I'm glad we do. But I mean, you know, we pushed off any idea of fasting or any idea of any it's just not there in our current, you know, kind of uh, listing of the faith. And there's even debates among some theologians. Is it a penitential season or not? Well, of course it is, dummy. You know, of course it is. I don't mean, dummy, but, you know, (laughs) you know, and any any look at the, you know, the whole notion is that it's penitential. In the sense that we want to say, hey, you know, I got to get serious. You know, the Lord will come suddenly and, you know, in a flash. Or even if he doesn't come to us, I might, I can't know if I got the next beat of my heart lined up. Uh, how many more beats of my heart are there? I don't know. Do you? you no. Know, no. So we have to see that um, every day we want to say something, some way of saying to God, I'm ready. I need you to do the next thing, whatever it is, Lord, you know. So. Finally, just this final reflection, this is from Second uh, Peter. I've alluded to it. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burnt up. Since all these things will be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be? Living lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening, notice hastening, the coming of day of God because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But according to his promise, we wait for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And therefore, beloved, since you wait for these things, be zealous to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This idea of waiting, you know, there's two ways you can wait. There's an active waiting and a passive waiting. A passive waiting is like you're sitting there waiting for a bus. There's absolutely nothing you can do except just sit there and say, is it here yet? You, know, you keep looking up the street, is that it? You know, you just sort of just sit there and wait. That's passive waiting. But there's an active waiting, like waiting on tables. You know, that kind of waiting is active. You say, look, he's coming. So let me put some things in order. Now, look, all of us can feel overwhelmed. There's a hundred things we need to do just for the getting ready for Christmas. You know, I got to go get a tree, got to get lights, got to, you know, got to have a party, got to make a souffle for whatever, you know. okay, got it. But there's also a lot of things we need to do spiritually. And so, again, I think for all of us, we can feel overwhelmed. So to quote Father Benedict Rochelle many years ago, 40 years ago, I was on a retreat with him and he said, be careful about the biggie wow stuff. The big project says, forget it. What's the next best step in your life? The next." best step? Where's the low-hanging fruit? That's what he said to us. He says, look, you know, we've all got this biggie well thing. I'm going to be holy by next month, you know. Forget it, you know. God's having a good laugh about that. But rather, what's the next best step? You see, these are the kinds of things where I think we can kind of get into a realistic understanding of it. God works incrementally in our life for the most part, okay? So I talk too much. I'd like to get some ideas from you and questions, comments, rebuttals, distinctions. <laughs> okay.
1: Thank you, Monsignor. Do appreciate your reflections and insights today. And, you know, Monsignor, as you remember, you remember Father Joseph Villa, And he used to say, he says, where there is no preparation where there is no expectation, there will be no fulfillment. And I, you, One liner you use, I wrote it down. If you don't know the bad news, the good news is no news. I got to use that one. You know? Yeah. You don't know what the problem is and how can you possibly expect to have the problem solved? Right. You know, and be happy when it is. <laughs> That's right. You know, exactly. Exactly. So, you yeah. know, repentance is a key component that unlocks the door that they say, look, not Everything's not right here, right? I might yeah. have to walk out very far of my church property here to see on the streets of Sacramento, California, things mm. aren't right. Yeah, you know, Even sacrament. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Lilia, coming over to you.
4: Okay, I realize, or I have noticed that this coming of the Lord brings a kind of anguish for the people that do not know what is coming after. In a way, I was thinking that the coming of the Lord can be even a third type is when we die. When we die, we will meet the Lord. And I have a, um, a nun, a friend, um, that uh, used to say, You know, death is the best part of our life because we will meet the Lord. So, my question is Can we, in a way, consider The coming of the Lord is is individually also for all of us in our death, because we will meet the Lord at that time.
3: Yeah, most certainly. That's kind of what I was saying when I said either we're going to him or he's coming to us. Either way, we're going to meet him. So when we die, we go to him. So either way. But the idea is we got to be ready. And, you know, we have to shed our, our any notions. You know, God is mad meh, you know, like, like, you know, that's, that's not really what's meant by the wrath of God. The wrath of God is really more in us than in God. That is to say, if I hate the light, I call the light harsh. If I love the darkness, I call the light harsh. If I hate the truth, the truth sounds hateful. So the problem is inside of us, not in God. God is who he is, beauty, glory, light, holiness, truth magnificence, you know, love beyond telling, like a burning furnace of love and charity for the whole universe. And if you aren't in caught up into that and made part of that already, it's not something you can easily tolerate. In fact, you can't at all. And so there'd be, quote, wailing and grinding of teeth. But it isn't that God is mad. It's that we're unprepared and unaccustomed to these things. And that's why we have to through, I'll give a little recipe for readiness in next week's talk. We'll talk a little bit about that. Okay. Getting ready.
1: Monsignor, could you just speak very quickly? I think it's important for everyone. Well, it's Thanks. not easy to grasp this, but I want to ask you to speak about it. Cause I know you can do a better job than, than, yeah. than I can and the rest of us can. And that is a proper liturgical understanding. And I think this goes back to what Lily is saying, a proper understanding of a liturgical understanding of how the liturgy makes present realities which are beyond the present moment. In other words, that today Christ is born and today Christ comes in the second coming. Today Christ comes Mm -hmm. at the moment of my death and how the liturgy makes these truths present here and now.
3: Yeah, the anamnesis of the liturgy is, is not just some, I've got some facts, historical facts piled away in my brain or some projected futures in my brain, but rather those events are made present to me. The once-for-all perfect sacrifice of the cross is made present to me in the liturgy. Likewise, the second coming, the ascension, the resurrection, these are present events, and, and the effects of them touch us here and now. It's not just some distant, dusty event 2,000 years ago. It's here, present. I am there. You are there. And that's what we call anamnesis. It's the opposite of an- amnesia. A-namnesia is to, amnesia is to forget. Anamnesia means to remember. Okay, You follow me? But remembering isn't just some, I got a fact in my brain that I forgot. Now I can remember it. But rather, to remember means to have so present to my my heart and mind what God has done for me so that I'm grateful and different, but it's to have it made present. I hope that. what you're looking for. Yeah,
1: father. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Teresa, I think you had wanted to jump into the conversation.
5: Yeah. Uh, when you were talking about us being affected by God, I was reminded of a phrase saying that the same sun melts wax and how... If our heart is like wax, then God's love melts it. I'm sorry. I'm being told that my connection is unstable. Yeah, it's okay, Tracy. I I I apologize if
2: it's...
3: (laughs) That's okay. Monsignor, did you catch that a little bit? Yeah, I think that ultimately we need God to kind of quicken our souls, to harden Mm -hmm. us for, you know, an athlete will have a coach who trains them by lifting heavy weights and things, getting them Mm -hmm. stronger and ready for the, the task at hand. And we need God to do that for us, to quicken us. Some of you may have read C.S. Lewis's uh, The Great Divorce, where they kind of these people from hell come up and take a tour of heaven. Most of them don't like the place and go back to hell. But the, one of the things they experience is that they're not hard enough to enjoy heaven. The grass, even the grass, is sharp in their feet and it hurts. Everything weighs heavily because they're, they're insubstantial. And you need to be made more substantial to be able to endure heaven. And the things of heaven. So just some uh, kind of a quick, I think what you're getting at there too, we, God has to harden us or quicken us and get us ready for that, you know, seeing of him. Catherine, feel free to jump in. Go ahead.
5: Monsignor, in in reference to talking about passively waiting and becoming more substantial. I've recently learned in the last six months much, much from Dr. Peter, I think his name name is pronounced Keroneski, and also Taylor Marshall and others about what we've lost from 1948 on in the erosion and canceling of our ancient 2,000-year-old tradition, or at least from, from the 300s AD. And I'm deeply grieved. I feel betrayed. And my question to you is, how do I... I want so much to participate in Advent, and I do my part to fast from things of pleasure, but I can't fast from food because I have to take certain supplements from my brain. But anyway, long story short, when I read the Benedictus or when I read my grandmother's old, old missal from 1908, I cry because... It's not just our liturgy of the mass, okay? It's all the sacraments have been distorted and reduced. And even, even the, the Psalms, the readings have been cut out. And the majority of faithful Catholics, those who attend mass and who receive, who do believe in the real presence of Christ, they don't even know the English translation of the Latin. And okay. I know that you know this. So my question is, I feel like I'm dying hmm. and I feel very lonely. And I seek out rosary groups every day on the phone. But the Novus Bordeaux mass has absolutely made me realize without the Institute of Catholic Culture, okay, my husband and I said, we would still be pagan pagan Catholics. And, you know, we show up in, in name only, we just show up as bodies and we spectate. So how, how can I recover?
3: Well, by doing that, recover it, go back and pick it up. In my own parish, I was challenged once by a parishioner. I I was talking about, quote, the good old days when I was a kid and we had processions and, you know, rosary processions and Corpus Christi processions. He says, well, what's to keep you from doing it now? "Uh, hmm. Well, that's a lot of work. Yeah. So we, we just started doing it. Now, my my point to you would just be that, you know, I think that we don't have to simply, you know, wait for the church to suddenly all snap to and, you know, start doing, you know, the old things we used to do. We can start ourselves. And you've already said, I'm seeking out groups that pray the rosary. I continue to grow. Now, the Pope recently issued this moto uh, inappropriate, um, uh, moto proprio. And, um, you know, with with the idea of trying to quash or to limit the older form of the liturgy and so on, and maybe even the other sacraments. But I would say this, the old uh, Rabbi Gamaliel just said, look, if something, if this is of God, in other words, the, the kind of rekindling of love of the old liturgy, if this is of God, nothing will stop it. And if this is a man, it'll go away. But I think it's of God and I think it'll continue to grow. And I think it's pretty clear that one of the growth sectors in the Roman Rite is the return to the tradition, not just the mass, but other other things as well. And yet more more and more young people are, are saying, I need more substance. You've given me pablum. I need substance. And we, the baby boomers, you know, I'm the one of the last. I, I was born in 61. I think the baby boomers end with 64. But we were the most selfish, egotistical, a kind of clastic, spoiled generation in a long, long time. And we threw everything overboard. Shame on us. And now some like you and others are going back to pick it up. That's actually the meaning of the word relevant, re lavare. Lavare mean to pick up. And Ray means it implies something got dropped, and you want, you go back and you pick it up again. And this is what I think we are going to just have to consistently do. Moto proprio is come and go, but I don't I don't think if this movement is of God that it can be stopped,
1: Monsignor. I think your your point is really good. That is, you have to take personal responsibility for living as a Catholic, and we can't just shove off that responsibility on failed leadership. I mean. My, God, you know, it was is it was, it was uh, Saint Athanasius. So the woke up in the world was was Arian, right? He, yeah. and and so things have been bad before. But you know, I don't remember anybody from fasting from television. Do you ever, Monsignor? Do you ever hear of that? Somebody in the hospital because they fasted from television.
3: Oh, no, no, no. I've never had that uh, call.
1: No, no, no. Or turning off your radio. You know, oh, even yeah. I got, I, you know, there's a certain point guys, When I'm going to say this, I'm going to say even like th- these programs at the Institute are wonderful and good to the extent that they're helping you draw close to the Lord, but at a certain point, even to say, wait a minute, you know, and, and Catherine mentioned a few of the other resources online that that participate. participating. Sometimes you got to say not now, you know, I need to make space for the Lord in my life, time for preparation, time for fasting, time for singing and to make our homes like really how many people in your home, with your shoes out this morning, fill those with your, for your grandkids or your kids mm. you with know, something, you know, going. what about going down to the store today and buying a pair of shoes, sneakers for your grandkids, filling them with some treats and going to your grandkids home and telling them the story of St. Nicholas, you know? You want to talk about your 1908 missile? That's that stuff goes old. That's old timey stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and and getting back in tune with what we can do as Christians. You know, Peter, I'm sorry. I know you were going to jump in there.
2: Oh, yeah. Just this next question here. A lot of people, of course, have, you know, Christmas parties, office parties, family parties that are coming up because the culture puts them before before we celebrate Christmas. How do you suggest that we navigate those? Because, of course, you you were talking about uh, maintaining a spirit of penance. But then we also, at least I feel this, we want to be Christ to others. We want to bring the joy of the the actual celebration of the season to folks. But there's a bit of a tension there. Like, do I just pull out for my own preparations? Um, How how do you suggest navigating that?
3: Yeah, we'll do a lot of discernment. You know, everyone may come to slightly different personal answers But I think the general answer, and that's a general answer, would be, you know, Caritas Suprema Lex, you know, charity is the highest law. And I think that at some point, not everybody is where we'd like them to be in their awareness of recovering a kind of Catholic and Christian culture. And so we, you know, it's okay to go to a few of these things and, you know, support and encourage and celebrate. but even even just dropping little hints like I'm going to have a party during the 12 days of Christmas and I'd like you to come, you know that kind of a thing. And um, you know I would I would say that there may be some of you though that because your own personal discernment says I'm overbooked I'm just crazy I've got to do less and and spend more time in prayer and preparation then that's fine. But make sure that you discern it with the Lord. And if there is some gathering like at work or something you don't have to say I won't be there because. I'm a true Catholic, I'm an uber-Catholic, you know, I mean, that kind of, don't do not do that, that's not gonna, and I know we can all get a, a upset and angry because we're always being asked to make compromises with this crazy culture, but some compromises can be made, not all, and not many, even. but I would just say there are just gonna be times where people mean well, meet them there, and then you can kind of begin to gently sow the seeds that take place in a longer conversation you know, about things like, you know, it's not the end of the world that someone has a Christmas tree up, you know, before December 25th. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that helps. Thank you,
1: Monsignor. And we're, we are drawing to a close here today, but that, that was a really good insight, Monsignor, as far as like, I see a lot of times people get very frustrated. I'm Catherine Murch. I'm, I'm just coming back to you for a second here to say it can be very frustrating, but what positive things am I doing? Am I actually planning, as Monsignor just said, for the feast? it's easy to be like you know get negative and be like we have to do all these penitential things and nobody else is doing them and it's so frustrating and then but but then forget about when comes time to feast and so you know we do spend a lot of time talking about singing at the institute so i encourage you to do some singing in your homes in preparation for christmas but also when the feast comes what are your plans you should be planning now like I was just in conversation, with my kids, who are we inviting over? What, is, how does it, how does the landscape look? Cause the feast falls for us now on this year on Friday night, right? Christmas Eve night is the big, the big thing. And, and Saturday and all of a sudden Sunday, do you have a plan for your Sunday, Christmas gathering of all your friends? It mean, is a special Sunday, right? Making those plans. Now, what are you going to be serving? What songs are you going to be singing together? Yeah so that we're preparing ourselves to really be an opportunity for others to come in and taste the good because we prepared ourselves properly for it. And then to be able to truly celebrate and to be ones that remember how are Christians supposed to be known in the world? Seriously. Mm. How are Christians? There's Jesus gave us one way. There's one way they're going to know you. (laughs) You love your enemy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Because the love we have for one another. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. how are we going to do that? And Monsignor, beautiful to be together. Here's what we're going to do here is as we conclude, I'm going to sing to you our closing prayer. It's a beautiful hymn, a Byzantine hymn for those that want to stay around and hear this. But then as we conclude, I'm going to read this quotation of St. Maximus of Turin and Muncie, and I'm sure you have to move on to other things this morning, but for those that want to stay around and hear those these beautiful words of this saint, you're welcome to do so. Thank you all for joining us this morning. We look and encourage your friends also to participate so we can grow spiritually during this time. And I know all of you know that we are uh, asking for your support during this season, as we come close to the end of the year, if you can possibly include the ICC in your charitable giving, it is greatly appreciated so that we can do more and more to, as Monsignor, you are saying about the fire, you know, you're like, what do you do with the fire? Well, you got to make it hotter, you got to throw more, in. you got the more of us join in that fire, right? And then you use, you said the ICC is one of those little glimmers of light, you know? if you want to make that light grow and shine more brightly, then invite you to participate in our mission and support what we're doing here at the Institute. Okay. We'll conclude in prayer. Then blessed is our God at all times. Well, now
6: and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Today the Virgin is on her way to the cave where she shepherds, him who shall appear as a young child, being God from all eternity. In
1: the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Mm -hmm. Saint Nicholas of Myra in Lycia, pray to God for us. Thank you, Monsignor, for being with us this morning. I'm going to go ahead and just, uh, for those that want to, just you're sitting back and want to hear these words, we're also going to email this out. So if you got to go on to other things in the day, welcome to do so. I'm going to go ahead and share this with you. Saint Maximus, the Bishop of Turin. He says this How prepared. And becomingly adorned, we should greet the natal day of the Lord and observe in a worthy manner the coming festival to observe the festival so that though the day's solemnity may pass, the joy of its sanctifying grace may abide. For this is the special grace of the Lord's birthday, that while it goes on to all who in the future will receive it, it still remains with the devout souls to whom it was already given. Let us then be made clean in holiness, clothed in modesty, worthy in heart. And the nearer we approach the festival, the more circumspectly let us walk. If women who have the care of a home will on certain days wash with water the garments that are soiled, should we not also make ready our souls for the birthday of the Lord, cleansing with our tears the stains of our conscience? And they Should they find the garment so soiled and stained that they cannot be made clean with water alone, add to the water the softening of oil and the acrimony of soap. We likewise, should we have committed sins that are not washed away by repentance alone, let us add the oil of almsgiving and the bitterness of fasting. There is no sin so grave that abstinence will not cleanse, that almsgiving will not blot out. These are the weapons of our faith by means of which we wage war. That we may use these weapons, we must, however, do violence to ourselves. We must drive out vice from our our own members, that we may attain to the rewards of virtue. For we must first rule in our own hearts before we can seize the kingdom of heaven. All who sleep lose Christ, and the vigilant find him. So brethren, let us not sleep, but keep watch about our Lord and Savior, To make sure with unceasing vigil that no one shall steal him from the sepulcher of our hearts. Lest we may have to say at some time, they came while we were sleeping and stole him away. For we have enemies who will try to steal Christ from our hearts, should we lapse into sleep. So with unceasing watch, let us keep him within the sepulcher of our souls. There let him rest. There let him sleep. There, when he wills, let him rise again. Therefore, brethren, let us who are about to greet the birthday of the Lord cleanse our consciences from all defilement, and let us prepare ourselves not silken garments, but precious works. Elegant garments may adorn the body, but they do not adorn the conscience. Unless you consider it more decorous to go about elegant in dress and defiled in mind. (laughs) that the clothing of the outward man may in all ways be becoming. Let us first make worthy the dispositions of the interior man, that our bodily adornment may be the more perfect. Let us wash away all spiritual stain. In the name of the Father,
0: and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this program from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Remember to download our app and share our online library with friends, co-workers and family members. To learn more, get involved and support the Institute's work, visit instituteofcatholicculture.org and visit us on social media.